Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join you today. He's a keynote speaker, author, entertainer, entrepreneur, and a contestant on American Ninja Warrior. It's Alex Weber. How are you doing today, Alex? Alex, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in small town New York. Sometimes when I say New York, people think like, uh, you know, Manhattan and New York is massive. Uh, I'm also not upstate and I'm not Long Island. Um, it's called Hudson Valley, Westchester County, about an hour north of New York City, which was cool. Like, you know, we pop in in New York City, you know, two times a year, uh, a little more when I got to be like 18 and then, you know, through college. But uh, yeah, it, I, I loved it. I had two very different upbringings where I had like pre-driver's license and then post because pre-driver's license, you know, we lived in the woods, which is cool and gorgeous, but uh, I was kind of really separate from my friends, uh, you know, except for like organizing what play dates, I guess you call them. <laughs> uh and then after getting my driver's license, it was awesome and uh, was so much fun uh, to be there. Fast tracking to where you are today, you liked being in the nature, outdoors, kind of that yeah. style. Living in the woods as you were growing up or in that kind of air or that kind of lifestyle, do you, did you fall in love with nature and being outdoors more? And that's what kind of got you to where you are today, where you're always outdoors, outside, <laughs> things like that. It's funny, man. I I actually think uh, I was so drawn towards like cities, especially like college. I went in Philly, then I lived in LA and there was just a ton of years where like, that was my thing. And like, I appreciated beauty and nature, but like, cool, that view's cool. Now let's go to the bar. Now let's go to a restaurant, <laughs> now let's go to a comedy show. And that just was where I was at for like a lot of years. And I, I really think it was American Ninja Warrior. One of the many positive ripples was so many of the communities were so active in the day mm-hmm. that it really shifted my lens. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much fun to be had. Uh, Cause that's really what the goal is. We go to a bar, we go to a restaurant, we go to a show to have fun. And I was like, oh, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. What else is there? And that has been fun because it almost like opened up this world where I feel like I'm scratching the surface of how many recreational activities there are that people do depending on what's around them from lakes to, you know, mountains to beach to whatever. Uh, so, um, yeah, I would say like falling in love with nature and all the activities was only in the last like four years and then has like exponentially grown over the last couple. As you were growing up, did you have any inspirations or someone that motivated you to accomplish goals at a young age? Uh, I mean, I would say of uh, a few people, uh, one would definitely be, you know, my dad, um, for a lot of reasons, my mom and dad are very supportive. My dad is very intense. Uh, but with that, I kind of had instilled in me for better or worse. It's not, you know, um, it didn't come without some learning lumps, but you give everything you have and anything beyond anything below giving absolutely every fiber of your being to this is unacceptable. Um, so that just created a very high, uh, goal to meet. Um, and I had to kind of, uh, navigate through that cause that really caught up with me in college. Uh, and I had some low points through that. Um, but then kind of through coaching and winning us lacrosse lacrosse coach of the year, I kind of like healed myself while coaching young adults. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say my dad and I, you know, I got a shout out Paul Carcaterra who 
was my high school lacrosse coach and just he really was uh someone in my life who just believed in me challenged me and also like gave me direction and opportunity and took an interest and uh changed my life how did you fall fall in love with lacrosse or where did you find lacrosse yeah. in your life well lacrosse it was big in the area that i grew up so I started playing just because my older brother played Zach nine years older than me, you know, and I looked up to him so much. So I did everything he did. And then uh, it was just something I did. And I was actually going to go into like competitive tennis. I was very intense with tennis, but then Car- Paul Carcaterra and our athletic director at the time, uh, Mr. Coyone <laughs> were like, nah, I don't think you should do tennis. I think you should do lacrosse. And I was like, all right, cool. Thanks for liking me. Uh and so, and then I just fell in love with the sport. And, you know, I, I say this a lot when I speak at schools, also colleges, and also to companies too, just find something because I wonder, I ended up falling in love with lacrosse. But at the time, I loved that there was this thing that I could go to and I didn't have to feel self-conscious like I did in life. I didn't have to be nervous or fearful. That was all there, but I was really good at it. And it made sense to me. If I run hard and I get a ground ball and I hit somebody and I pass and I score, that's like, that's great. And I get friends and I feel better about myself and life is better. And so it made sense to me. And I think for a lot of people, it's so special to just have an outlet where it just makes sense. Like maybe it's a band or or maybe it's an art project or you want to start a company or maybe it's your family, but just, uh, there's a lot of value in finding an outlet. Um, and then as I continued to play and then really in coaching, I just fell in love with this sport because first off, it's from, it's a spiritual game from native Americans. So like it, it has so much heart in it. Then it's so physical and alpha and monsters of humans beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> but it's also so like elegant you have these finely crafted knitted sticks that are so particular and you use it like a wand it's like a ribbon dance and it's very like fluid and creative and artistic so it's just and it's so fast and it's high scoring and it's teams and it doesn't matter what body type you are if you're short and scrappy or tall and lanky or you're big and bulky there's a space for you so uh and it's a great men's and women's sport so i mean i I can go on and on but uh it's it's a great game I've definitely watched lacrosse on TV and I'm just like, this is just fun to watch. I mean, you cannot turn the channel or if there's never like a break where you have time to go grab a drink or something because you're going to miss like five goals in like the span of 30 seconds possibly. And I think you mentioned the importance of all different types of people can play the sport where a lot of other sports, it's kind of like, Oh, you have to look a certain way. You have to be athletic a certain way. And lacrosse is just something that anyone can pick up even at a recreational level or at a competitive level. And, and check our rosters, like as the sports growing, Listen, we have like a Stifler branding and uh, as the sport is growing, yes, if you look at a roster of names, yes, you're going to see a lot of Connors and Tanners. Yes, <laughs> but but you will also see uh, just about every other ethnicity represented there. And that's pretty cool. A lot of times in movies, lacrosse gets this kind of prep school kind of vibe yeah. or like rich kid. Yeah. Do you feel that is a misrepresentation of oh. a type of person a lacrosse player is? I just think it's outdated. I think uh, 15 years ago, yeah, it's probably 
fairly accurate. Even then there was different cultures. Like you had preppy, some in the Northeast, some in Annapolis, Maryland, and you know, Baltimore, but at, but you also had like really gritty blue collar areas too. So I think it's just mis, mis, misleading. And I'll say that now 15, you know, years from that branding as the sports are growing, it's in every geographic. It, it's impossible. It's impossible to try to give it that branding yeah. because it's just too big. It's in too many areas, too many demographics, too many types of people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm thinking of like the top athletes in last year's college lacrosse and like, I don't know if you put them in a lineup. Yeah. Like you might say three of them seem preppy, but if you dig deeper, you're like, Oh, that kid's from Canada, like a blue collar school in Canada. You know, he's not from whatever prep school in America. Yeah. What were you going for to college for? Like, what was that dream job? It was always going to be lacrosse no matter what. And I think that's really important for people to understand too, is because it was so important to me and because it was my dream, I didn't think about it really, I didn't really actively think about it. And this is when I talk to colleges, I feel very passionate about this. I just did what the river current was, which to me was, I looked at the seniors when I was a freshman, I was like, all right, PJ and DJ, yeah, they're similar, similar names and Pat. All right. They're smart. They're cool. Um, I look up to them. They're driven. They're successful. What are they majoring in? Cool. I'll major in that. And so that's not a bad recipe, but it, the, the key ingredient that I didn't put in there is who the hell am I? What the hell do I want for my life? And that fire kept going until my senior year. And when senior year, I had already majored in this. I was already supposed to go into this career field. I had an honest moment with my heart. And this is in the book. And I said, what do I want for my moments on earth? Which is the most honest question we can ever ask ourselves. And uh, I answered it with honesty, brave honesty. And that next day I switched and I started going into entertainment and positivity and people and inspiration. I didn't really know how they would all work out, but I just knew that that's what fired me up. Do you feel going in that direction for more passion than financial was the best decision that you made? I think that's a really good question. And I think it depends on your values. And what I mean by that is to some people, and this isn't bad, it's just uh, I really don't, I don't mean it in any way. It, it, it's, it depends on what you value. If you value security and stability and, um, then going that route might be more attractive to you. If you value having a lot of money and resources, there's no shame in that. Awesome. Then that is a great route for me. What was my top priority was what I wrote was follow your fire. And what that meant to me was I'm a living creature on earth. The top priority to me is to do what is ever in my heart and my soul that I feel I need to do while I'm here. And whatever comes with that is wonderful, but that is my inarguable circle it, star it, underline it, number one that I got to do. And here's what's cool about that. We all have different hard wirings. We all have different systems. But for me, anytime I've done that, it has activated all of my best qualities to the point that all the other stuff that I wanted, type A success, resume credentials, money, you know, credibility, all that stuff naturally came as a byproduct simply because I was so damn excited and focused and driven and hungry to do this. I like it. I think it's the way that you took it 
is what a lot of people need to do nowadays. Cause I think people are overwhelmed. They're stressed on that one decision that they have to make and think, okay, I can't get out of this. I'm got to go through this long-term. And I think I'm at the time where I'm at, where I'm looking at every option that I have. I think sticking in one direction is not going to be my end result. And you just got to find that passion. You want to wake up each day and enjoy going to work or doing the things that you like to do because life's too short. Yeah, I, I agree with it. And I, I think it really comes with, you know, and I, again, I say this in the book and I give an exercise for it, uh, you know, to really just understand what, what you want and what does success look like to you? Like I have a, a friend, and I write about this. He is, I love this guy and he lives such a simple life. And I mean that in the most flattering and honestly envious way, because he just knows, okay, I love my family. I love my friends. I love having no stress, Mm -hmm. no stress. I love being able to clock out and enjoy recreation on the weekends and have poker night and have Monday night football. And because of that, his career is in line with that. He goes to work, he works and he leaves. I wouldn't say he loves what he does. In fact, he probably tolerates it, but he also has such good parameters around what that piece is in his life. He doesn't work, he's not his whole life. It provides a means for everything that he really cares about. So I I just say again, you know, if we don't decide what success looks like to us, then we're playing a game that we don't know how to win. And and that's going to get us nowhere. Is there a job or an opportunity and experience that you've had that has challenged you to kind of learn something new about yourself? Yeah. Uh, U.S. coaching, coaching lacrosse. Uh, That was the best thing. I mean, and I'll say all, I I mean, I could go into every defining chapter, but that was what I call my grad school. I coached high school lacrosse for six years, three years at the head coach. The first year I was called interim head coach at 25 years old, um, right before the season, you know, and that basically means you give it a shot and then we'll hire someone better. Uh, and I went for broke. I won us lacrosse coach of the year. The kids won awards. We set records and, uh, it just, it activated a, I didn't, I wasn't that person. And then I became coach Weber because these athletes needed me to. And, uh, that version of me, I just really loved. And, uh, it, it was more confident. I, I used to have trouble speaking up for myself, but if you have 30 athletes, a screaming coach over there, your staff, parents in the stand lines, a ref, a school, players go, you need to become authority, even if you're uncomfortable. So it made me do things that I wasn't ready to do. Uh, it taught me how to relate to people in, in, a, in a way that I never knew before, because all these athletes were different, had their own challenges, had their own reason for playing goals. Um, yeah. So I'll say that was the first, then being a TV host with NBC and FX and things like that, Discovery Channel really caused me to really be comfortable speaking in front of people, stand up comedy for like dealing with fear and doubt and uh, just being like sharp and on your feet. Uh, and then, you know, speaking and really being able to like put it all together and, and connect with audiences in a, in a way that's hopefully relatable and actionable. So I'd say all the chapters. 
When you're giving a keynote speaking um, at an event, do you feel that people can really connect with you because you have gone through the things that you've talked about instead of someone that's just getting up on stage and just speaking it because they learned it in a book? You actually physically went through everything. Yeah, here, I'll turn on this. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that. And I, I, I agree. And I think one thing that I'm very passionate about the best, the best feedback that I ever get is that it's real and relatable and that it helped the person that day. Uh, that's awesome. And that's, and then, you know, if they, if they say that I needed to hear this, that's like, that's exactly what I hope for. Um, and yeah, I'm very honest and I will continue to be about like my own mess ups, uh, and screw ups, uh, cause we all have them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is, uh, I often will use my own personal stories and I also use stories from the world and successful people and I use science and studies, but I will definitely say that probably 60% is my own personal stories because that's what I know. And that's what you can't read in a book. That's what you, you know, and, and to those people who might be just regurgitating other people's work, I think that's fine. And it has a value. Uh, I just think we are we are living a human experience, all of us, and we need to share about that human experience if we're really going to make things better. I think that's so true because I don't, I want to hear the real authentic of that person speaking about challenges that they've gone through in college or the career force that they went through, because then you can connect and relate with that person a lot more than someone that, oh, they just became a CEO easily. They just signed a contract. Okay. Well, how did you get there? Yeah. We want to know about that because then we can take those steps to get to that high point. 100%. When you're creating content on like social media or LinkedIn, do you prefer the vi- virtual aspect or that in-person aspect? Because I know during this time with the pandemic, everything went virtual. So yeah. people that were speakers didn't get that per- in-person connection and they had to do everything through a camera like we are doing right now. Um, so you mean for like keynotes and things like that, like talks? and Yeah. Like, yeah. did you prefer the in-person than having to do it in front of a I'll camera? I'll say this. I'll say in the beginning, I had a lot of resentment towards it because it's not why I got into this field. I like being with people. I will say that now, uh, and, you know, I, I was grateful and I did, I've done a, you know, I don't know, 50 plus virtual engagements, uh, maybe more, probably more. Um, and well, way more actually, because of these communities I run, I run a men's community. I run the high achievers workshops. Uh, so probably hundreds. I have found ways now of making it very connective and very heart fulfilling and very, uh, impactful. So I'll say that I'm down. I'm down. I, I'm, I am, totally down for both. Um, you, there will, there has, and will never be a substitute for people being together. Absolutely never will. I don't care how far technology gets. We are human beings. There are cells. This is friction. There's senses. And when you do feel that together, it's unparalleled. However, there are also wonderful opportunities and we're very lucky to live in a time where we can do incredible things virtually. So I, I see the positives in both. 
does it make it harder for you to prepare depending on not knowing which kind of style you're doing? Or do you feel that you have the tools that you're able to adapt no matter what style you have to perform at? I, I think just like anything, you know, I had to get better at it. And I, I, I do in like, I do like involving the crowd and that can depend on if you're doing virtual, sometimes the clients would prefer cameras off and more of just like, you know, speaking into it, which is fine. And I've prepared for that. Uh, I've also prepared if they're camera on and in the chat, how to engage with them. Um, the short answer is, I mean, I, I imagine at some point, I don't know. I don't know though. I, I was going to say at some point I'll probably, I truly don't think I've ever given the same talk twice because I ask every client, every, whoever it is, what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. who are you? What's going on? And then based off that, I'm going to curate the message because I want it to relate to who they are and what's going on. And so that part, honestly, I think is kind of fun because it becomes like a little bit of a puzzle and you got all these pieces and you can piece them together to, to make the best puzzle for people. See, that's why you did American Ninja Warrior. You like puzzles too much. <laughs> I do. I'm going to go to a training later. <laughs> Talk about that experience. What was yeah. the kind of the mental mindset that you had going into that? And how was the outcome for you? Who? So uh, I first was a host. I hosted for two years, which was awesome. A digital series for NBC. It was awesome. Uh, part of that job was not only to be a hosty talky talk, but to go try the obstacles. And first year idea was I'd fail. I did for everyone's <laughs> entertainment. Second year, the idea became, what if we started to get good? And what was really unique about that was now for my dream job, I needed to be good at something that was by all means impossible. Um, and through that, I just learned so much. And that's so much of what the book fail proof is about is giving steps to actually how you systemize doing these unimaginable things and these things that we failed at, how do you actually make them possible and achievable and attainable? Um, so yeah, uh, I, and during that second year hosting in that journey, we ended up winning an award for best series, uh, which is very cool. Um, and uh, that led to uh, me falling in love with the sport, the athletes, the community and coming back and competing. I competed two times uh was going to compete three times but i broke my hand so there were some learning lessons and emotional valleys in there um yeah i mean it's 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 been there are a million and one different angles on it because it depends on but at the highest view it has been such a gift because it gave me back it gave me back uh being an athlete after college across i got pretty depressed and started eating and drinking worse. I got overweight. Um, like, you know, I saw a photo of myself and I'm like, that's not me. And I was like, oh. my buddy was like, no, bro, that, that's you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I got really overweight. And uh, because people start calling you a former athlete and something in the book that I say is those are dangerous lies and they're lies because they're not true. And they're dangerous because we hear them and we take them in as true. Someone said, you're not smart, you're not funny, you're not creative, you can't be a leader. And we're like, I guess that's who I am. And we live in accordance with that when it's just a freaking opinion. So when American Ninja, American Ninja Warrior, what fires me up so much is I've never been older than I am right now. I don't know if anyone else has that. And uh, I am doing athletic things that I was not able to do as a 21-year-old Division One athlete. And so to me it makes me feel like I am still living and I'm not dying. And, 
it just every single time challenges me every single time, even tonight, even this competition skip Saturday, I have a wave of fear of, oh no, nerves, judgment, all that. And then I move through it and I do things that I didn't think I could do. So it's, it's the freaking best. Is there similar skills where you take from the cross and you utilize it in Ninja Warrior? That would have been nice. Uh, (laughs) No, no. Um, And and that's not entirely, you know, fully accurate. What did translate? I mean, lacrosse is on your feet. It's hand eyes. I'm using a stick and a ball like hockey, lacrosse, even like basketball transfers over, um, you know, football, maybe a little bit, but like hockey, obviously hockey, but uh, Ninja Warrior is like, instead of like being down here on your feet and moving around and getting all shifty, you're going up here and you're traversing and you're hanging and you got to learn how to move through the air comfortably flying and twist and get grip strength and um what did so none of it none of that translated what did translate though was because of being a d1 lacrosse player because i played in the world cup of lacrosse which i did i was the second highest scorer in the world because of that i know the recipe and so really what it just took was me deciding that all right i'm going to go all in that's not a, it's not a, like a lighthearted thing. Cause to go all in means it's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of getting knocked on your ass, but there is a system to it. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, again, that's what the book is fail proof. Do you have a favorite obstacle from doing uh, it or even from dur- during times training? Do you have a favorite obstacle that you're like, okay, this was the hardest one I couldn't get, but now I'm able to accomplish it or something that's just fun. Yeah, I mean, the double dipper one was just so special to me. It's on the Vegas course. It's huge. You got to like fling through the air on these roller coaster things. And it was just so special because it, I did it on the Vegas Nationals, which is like the highest course. And I had one shot at it. The lights were there. The crowd was packed. And uh, it was at the end of me hosting that second season. So that was just like, will be really special to me always. Um, and then just ones that I do now that, uh, like, it's really fun. Like, it's so challenging, but there's ones that are like, like you fly in the air, which is like, that's so fun. You're freaking flying. And you like do things where you like hook on to different things. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Like, it just, it's, it makes everything so clear. Like I went to Ninja Intensity, a gym here, and my buddy was doing this thing where you have a hook and you flip and you're doing like you twist here and you hook on to this other thing. And I remember my initial thought was like, damn, I'm not ready for that, but maybe sometime. And I did it. And I did it on the freaking second try. The first try I did it, I was all wonky. And the second try, I was like, oh crap, I actually can do this. My mind didn't think I could. So that's why the first time didn't go well. But then I proved it enough to my mind that maybe I could. And second time I did it. And so I just mean that because like, I've just seen this in everything in life. Now our brains get in the way first and just tell us we can't do it or our first attempt doesn't go great. And so we stop. But if you just keep at it, I don't care what it is you want to do. You want to learn guitar or Krav Maga, or you want to reignite romance or you want to lose 30 pounds. If you want to do it, you will do it. See, I love that never give up attitude. And that's something that it's instilled in me because I don't want to do something and fail. I want to be able to come back and complete it, accomplish it, because I want to prove to myself, I'm not doing it for other people. I'm doing it for myself. But I just remember going to those gyms and stuff, doing those courses. And I hate anytime they have those doorknobs where you have to like, like 
I used to watch American Gladiator. So like the rings, the hang tough rings are something that I'm like, okay, I need to do this. But no, let's American Ninja Warrior. Let's get something even smaller that you can't grab on. And let's see if you can hold on to it. I'm like, this is torture, but I still can't do it. <laughs> like I keep trying. The grip strength tough stuff is uh is tough. And I'm gonna like go to the gym tonight. And you know, that one is if I'm being really honest with myself, that is where I need to really improve. And I know where I'm at in it because I'm not that great at it. It's not that fun to practice it, but we all, you know, and it's also like, it's freaking painful. It just hurts your hands to like hang on these weird craggy things as you know, but I'm, uh, you know, I know that if I commit to it for a few months, it will become good, but, uh, yeah. Would you ever go back and try again on the show? Like 100%. if auditions again, go through 100%. that process. 100%. I'll toss my hat in the ring this year. And if, if they want to bring me back, I'd be honored and I'm all in. Um, I, 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 I think with all things in life, I'm just trying to listen and I'm not trying to script. I don't, you know, um, I just really love the sport and I feel like I have unfinished business where like this last year I would have, could have, should have, but I could have hit a buzzer. And I made like a mental strategy choice. And I went out on the fourth obstacle um, of six. Um, But like, so I feel like I have unfinished business, but I also like, I have enough, um, I guess, groundedness now, or maybe maturity to know that if life has other things in store for me, that it feels I need to move in that direction. um, I don't. I want to freaking do it so badly. I would love to. If the opportunity presents itself, like, let's go. But I also understand that there's chapters to life. And if life is moving in another way, I'll embrace the new opportunities. Talk about this personal journey you've been in this last year. You kind of were, I guess, moving or you kind of were getting involved in new activities, new opportunities, new experiences. What has that done for you? And what excites you about the future within that kind of experience you're going through? Um, yeah, I mean, I moved to Colorado, which again, I'm kind of, I mean, I'll say one of the, so this season of life is definitely, I'm trying to listen and I've, and, and listen to just signs, listen to up there, listen to my heart and, and act in accordance with that. And so, uh, yeah, that led me to Colorado and I freaking love it here. Like people are, the boulder is where I live and there's uh you know there's some uppityness and 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 not great parts but overwhelmingly I've met communities that are just so uh like with their heart and and spiritual and freaking athletic and climbing rock cliffs and I'm part of a group that we jump in the river when it's 33 degrees and we do breathing work <laughs> and it's uh it's awesome it's it's crazy and I love it I'm crazy uh so it's uh it's great. And I, I do think I'll, I'll be here for a little bit. Um, I say a little bit, a little bit might be the rest of my life or a little bit might be, you know, a few months and, and the next chapter, but uh, just trying to, just trying to see. Was it weird going from the East coast to kind of, I guess, Midwest mountains to colder weather? Cause I mean, when you think of, I mean, I'm from the Midwest and you don't know what season you're getting every day. Like it's 70 degrees in December in the Midwest right now. So I was in New York and then Philly for college and then Los Angeles for like eight years. And then, but, but, but my last couple of years in LA being there full time, I was traveling so much that I got to see so many places and I'm like, 
you know, you develop this almost like uh, single mindedness of like, oh, if you're not in LA or New York, you're, and, and I was just like, I was in all these places. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just so many cool cities and towns and people. And, uh, you know, it was my own ignorance that was getting in the way. And uh, um, I really realized, I was like, I could, I think I could be happy in, in just about any spot, you know? Um, but I will say in this season of life, I really enjoy uh, I've done cities and they're great and I go to them for work and I'll go to them, you know, here and there for things, but for living day in and day out for me, uh, I really value uh, nature and a little quieter and a little more peace. And, and uh, yeah. Is that kind of going back to how you were growing up being in nature? Uh, You're kind yeah. of full circle going back to that. It's a great insight. And I, I, I agree. I think so. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Um, I would say, uh, all right, let's do do personally. Personally, I would say, you know, I do want to meet someone and do that season of life, partnership, uh, you know, kids. And uh, I'm not in a rush, but I'm in no rush. But when it is right, I'm excited for it. Uh, I'd say professionally, you know, um, I'm also open with a lot of things in the world to see what my role is. Um, I'm very clear of what I stand for and I'm open to how that looks in the world, but I, I definitely want to continue to be uh, a voice and a presence for, for people, for purpose, for positivity, um, for betterment, for doing things and being who we want to be. Um, and, uh, yeah, building out communities. I I really think that's going to be this next season because I have different communities. I have a men's community called men. We admire, which is incredibly special and any men listening or people who know a man, uh, who wants to be a part of a community. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, starting another community called team people, which has more to do with what's going on in the world and, and giving some support for people who may feel lost or confused right now. Uh, yeah. Have you been prepping for a next book that you could be writing? Uh, um, it'll, it'll come in time. I'm in no rush. Uh, I definitely will want to do one again because, because I do like writing and I've learned a lot from this past one. Um, but I'm not in any rush. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I'll know it when it, when it comes. What's the, if someone that's listening to this interview that wants to find that big message that you want to share by reading your book, what would be that one sentence message that you're hoping they get out of it? Mm. Or a couple of sentences. I know too much restriction on one sentence. Um, You are capable of doing things that you didn't think you could do. I like that. That's a, put it on a t-shirt. Basically, (laughs) That's one of those slogans right there. Yeah. Heck yeah. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Mm. Good question. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I will say uh, it begins with brave honesty and I call that brave honesty. That's a promise in the book that I encourage people to make to themselves. And what that means to me is everything's so judged and we have so much layers of conditioning and, and, and uh, compartmentalization that we often don't look at our lives 
or ourselves and simply say, damn, I, I kind of want that. Or I, I always wanted to do that. Or it'd be cool if I felt a little better about this. And so we just block it away and we just and keep going, keep going, busyness, productivity, or let me distract myself. And I get it. I, I do that too. So it begins with brave honesty to just take that box out and go, damn, that last relationship really rocked me, but I, I am worthy of love. I do want to be with someone. Or you know what? This job is fine, but I want to step up. I want a new position here. I want to be a leader or I want to start this new company or whatever it might be. I want to reconnect with a sibling or, or a family member. So that's where it starts. And then uh, what I'll offer someone right now is one of the steps in the book is make it real. That's step two. After you've set your goal, uh, step two is make it real. And it's, it's, a, it'll change your life because so whatever it is for you. Um, okay. Let's say it is uh, for me, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, my older brother and I can sometimes butt heads. I wanted to make our relationship better. How do I make that real? Well, it's sending him a text message right now today and just saying, Hey bro, thinking of you or here's a funny joke I heard, or whatever it is, it, you're not going to conquer it all today. But now like it's in motion, the wheels are in motion. So what, whoever's listening right now, if you have a goal, forget doing all the goal right now, what could you do today, right now, the second you're listening to Alex and Alex talking right now, to take this goal out of impossible, ethereal idea land and make it real and in your life? I think it's kind of like in the word, I guess, in the words of Nike, just do it. Like stop. Yeah. I think a lot of us get in our minds and kind of want, make us want to not go in that direction. Or we come up with those excuses on, okay, I'm not going to go do that passion project or go do something that I enjoy doing, but just go do it because you're going to think about not doing it more than after you just yeah. do it. And, and the last thing I'll say, you're so right. The last thing I'll say is this is, I'm just the absolute biggest believer in this. There is no substitute for commitment. Commitment is the X factor. And what I tell people is it is binary. Meaning if you decide that you want to do something, there's a fork in the road. And if you decide to not do it, keep on going on life. This path will be whatever this path is. It's fine. But if you do decide and you commit, you know, I'm going to do this and you step into that, well, that path goes through the jungle and that jungle is going to be crazy and you're going to get knocked on your ass. You're going to see scary things. You're going to meet people along the way. are going to help you out. You're going to have wonderful moments and hard moments, but, but you decided to embark on it. And if you really do commit to it, you will get through it. Yep. Most people are wishy-washy on the commitment. So somewhere in the jungle, they freak out and they try to get out of it and it gets messy and ugly and they probably get hurt. So decide, do you want this in your life or not? And if you do, commit and you will make it happen. Well, Alex, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Alex, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me and, and thank you for everything you're doing. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full episode of the format. What capital do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.